My name is Dr. Chris Jenkins, and I am the CEO of the Orient Society and the host of the Snake Talk podcast, the podcast where you learn about nature's most feared, maligned, and persecuted animals. I invite you to listen to this conversation, and maybe you'll find that what you perceive as fear is actually rooted in a deep fascination. Welcome to the Snake Talk Podcast. I am here with Adeline Robinson, and we are going to have a fascinating discussion today about snakes and art. And, you know, I'll kind of intro this episode by, by telling the audience something that they probably don't know about me, um, in that I actually started my college career as an art history major. Um, before I went into wildlife and, and herpetology. And, uh, you know, so I've always had this just this really uh, incredible appreciation for art in general. You know, if I'm on vacation in wherever in Europe, in France, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm out looking for snakes, but I'm also hitting all of the big museums uh, as well. And, and so I'm a, I'm a huge art fan in general. Um, and as most of you know by now, I'm also a huge proponent for just the use of of media and art in all forms and, and how that can can help conserve some of these animals we all love and, and hopefully we'll we'll get into some of that today. And uh, you know, Adeline is, is a really amazing uh, reptile artist and uh, looking forward to to learning about her and, and what she does today. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. No problem. So I like to start off and um, I'm going to kind of do dive deep into, you know, your history and how you get to where you are today. But, but I like to start off by having people understand kind of just who you are. Like, you know, what do you do today? Like, what do you do for a living? And, you know, where are you sitting today as we do this podcast? I'm super grateful to be able to say I do this full time. As of last February, I went full-time with the Reptile Artworks, so I do a lot of logos, different illustrations, graphic design, you know, I do banners and stuff as well for different breeders and uh, companies. And um, in between my commissions, I work on personal herp-related artwork that I make prints and stickers of. So it's uh, really, really exciting for me to, to be able to do that all the time. When I say yeah, living that's in the dream, I'm, I'm not meaning it sarcastically. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that is amazing. I mean, I, I can imagine being an artist in any, you know, genre, if you will, would be just a, you know, a, a difficult field to make it in. And we, and we may get to some of that. And and I definitely want to kind of highlight the business side, uh, you know, of, of what you do. And we'll, we'll do that a, a little bit later on, um, you know, and, uh, you know, definitely want to point people towards you if they're looking for a logo or any of these things. And, and I will also keep that in mind because we end up developing a lot of logos and similar things. Uh, so, so where are you sitting today? Do you, uh, you know, are you based in one place? Do you travel a lot for this work? Um, primarily based about an hour out of Chicago. That's kind of my, my home base. I'm from, from Chicago. Um, I've done some moving, but I'm pretty much like back home in the Chicagoland area, but I've been traveling to shows pretty extensively in the last few months. We're finally back home for a bit. We've got one more or a couple more that aren't too crazy long drives, luckily. Um, but pretty much home for the most part, going to focus on getting some new artwork done and then uh, start prepping for next year's shows. Gotcha. So, so you're based in Illinois and probably do much of your work there, but you, uh, but sounds like you're a road warrior and you're traveling all over, all over the country for, you know, to sell art, probably to get inspiration and, and for other reasons, huh? Yeah, it started um, at the end of 2020, since of course, a lot of the shows and everything kind of got canceled. Um, so it started picking up at the end of the year. But uh, so far this year, we've gone to Texas. I mean, we've driven down to Texas to Florida, Texas again, uh, South Carolina, North Carolina, St. Louis and back home. So kind of been hopping all over the place. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's, it's definitely something I've wanted to do for a really long time. So I get super excited whenever we, 
have a road trip show to go to. And uh, being able to see the regional differences between the shows is just really fascinating. Because I've never, I've been going to reptile shows for many years, but they were always local. So I'm used to what we, you know, typically see here at the Chicago shows and being able to go to another state and see what piques people interest there is really fascinating. Yeah. Sounds like you, you spend a fair amount of time down my way in the South then. Yeah. Yeah. That's been most of this, uh, most of the summer we're going to try to head out West, I think next year and, uh, see if we can head that direction a little bit, but yeah, mostly Southeast recently. Hmm. Okay. So, so you're kind of, uh, you're kind of unique in my mind in that um, we're all unique, right? But but you are kind of unique in that, you know, certainly you could say there are a lot of artists out there in the world of different types. And certainly there are a lot of people out there that are interested in reptiles or snakes in, in different forms, whether that's husbandry or they're scientists or, uh, you know, what have you. But But you've found this kind of interesting intersection where where you you've brought those two together and i have to imagine that it is a pretty small club uh in terms of of those people that have done that and so that's great and and what i want to you know start building towards or learning about is is you know how did you get there and so i guess what i'll start out with is what came first you know as a let's just say as a young child is it, you know, was it that you had this great interest in reptiles and that you then became an artist later in life? Was it that you always loved to draw pictures and that, you know, over time the, you know, your pictures of flowers and houses and everything else soon became, you know, turtles, lizards, and snakes? That's an amazing question. And I wish I actually had like a precise answer, but <laughs> I don't remember what came first. Um, I've, been lucky enough to have animals in the home since I was really young, since I could remember basically. And as long as I could remember, I've also been like drawing and doodling and trying to do some artwork as well. So a lot of my subjects um, to start with, I suppose, have been animals and out of old medical textbooks and animal illustrations. And I would try to emulate that on paper. So I know there's quite a, uh, let's see, quite a few interesting things that I've drawn that have definitely weird teachers out <laughs> when it comes to <laughs> animals and diagrams and just, just, you know, trying to do illustrations. So I don't really know entirely what came first. Pro I'm assuming probably animals just because I feel like it's easier for a kid to appreciate that first and then draw them. Um, but yeah, I've been kind of doing both as long as I can remember. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you, basically took two of your childhood loves and, and built them into a career. So, um, you know, I picked up on what you said there that you had animals in the home. And when you say animals, did you have uh, reptiles in particular, meaning snakes and lizards and other animals like that? Yeah, I had a, a you know, like most kids, a beardy growing up. My parents had ball pythons and they had a retic at one point and a few different species. So I was very familiar and just I loved them so much. I mean, I, I, I lived for it then and I still live for it now. So yeah. very right. fortunate to, to have that. Yeah. So you were born with, with reptiles. So your parents, I'm assuming um, they're still, uh, you know, very much into reptiles and very appreciative of, of your career or. They were very casually enjoying them. So I think my, my dad was a little bit more into it. My mom was like, oh yeah, that's cool. Like, you know, it, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll get into it. And so I know before I was born, they were keeping a bit. And then, you know, I as I was a young kid, we were, oh, we always had some type of pet in the house. Um, aquariums, we had, you know, small mammals, reptiles, kind of a little bit of a, a mix of everything. Um, but Pretty much after, as I started getting older, it kind of became my thing. And then I just went and ran with it. So I feel like I took my parents' casual hobbies and, you know, turned turned a career out of it. Yeah. A little bit oh. with it. That's, that's great. Uh, so 
Well, let's talk about that career because you said today you're doing it full time, and and again to be a, a reptile artist full time that's a that's a small club, and uh, and you know I'm assuming it's not something that you know this these ideas and the skills that you started building, um, you were you were building them from a young child. It sounds like, and so. I want to figure out how, how you got from point A to point B. Um, so, so you're a child and you're interested in art and you're interested in reptiles. And like you said, you know, you, in school, you were, you know, maybe doing art that, that other students weren't doing, um, you know, maybe some things that even disturbed your teachers. So, um, so let's just take it to about that point. So you, you're, you're moving through school, through high school and uh, you're, you know, you're, you're kind of, you're building this skill and this interest and where did you take it from there? Did you, were you conscious that you wanted to do this for a career? Did you try to go, you know, get into art formally or did you start collecting animals extensively? What was kind of that first step of moving towards being a full-time reptile artist? It was definitely the animals. So I, I, throughout high school was drawing a ton. I was, you know, taking art classes and I was super involved and really pushing myself art-wise. And then once I started working more and more, that just kind of took over what I was doing. And luckily I was doing what I loved. I worked at a specialty aquarium shop for many years and then a wildlife center that had a very extensive reptile collection. And uh, you know, just was so enthralled with working with these animals that everything else kind of took the back seat. So I was, working as much as I could just to be able to spend time with different species and learn from them. And art was definitely on the back burner. I would maybe draw like a little bit here and there just for friends as like a small gift or something, but it didn't really start coming back up uh, until about late 2018 or 2019. So there was a very long break there in between. Great. So you, so you ran with this love of animals and you started working in, you know, kind of the husbandry pet world, it sounded like and with aquarium uh, company and then moved to a, did you say it was a wildlife rescue type facility or? A... It's, uh, it, it's the wildlife discovery center out of Lake Forest. And so they have, oh, okay. it, yeah, it's like a small zoo essentially where he's got a bunch of different species of some native species and a lot of uh, others as well. So I worked there for for a time being, you know, he's got crocodilians and had some venomous there and some just really cool animals. Um, Then from there worked at a small family owned pet store, which I still work very closely with. And yeah, I was kind of more on the, on the pet husbandry side. Mm -hmm. And then after the pet store, I, I ended up taking a job out of state and was offered a job as a graphic designer at a up and coming company that I ended up taking. So I was out there for a couple of years and um, the management was just terrible. So I decided to go full time with the artwork after I had been doing it on the side for maybe a few months and uh, uh, figured I, I just needed to get out of there. So I was like, you know what, why not? Let's see how this reptile art thing goes. Um, so yeah. yeah, pretty much just went and did my own thing. I didn't know if it would work or not. And that, that was the scariest part was just trying to make that jump. Cause I've pretty much, I've been working consistently since I was 14. I'd never worked for myself or ever had a period of time where I wasn't employed by somebody. So that was like the scariest thing of, uh, of the whole, um, start, I guess. Yeah, that can be of being any type of entrepreneur and building something new. You know, I mean, I had the same thing with Orient Society. You know, you just, you just, oftentimes you're leaving something that maybe, while it might not be as fulfilling, it's, it's maybe more secure financially or, or for whatever reasons. And, and you just have to, you know, make that jump. And uh, that's great. I'm glad you did that. So I'm assuming. Throughout this whole time period, you know, going through high school and the places you were working at, that you were also kind of acquiring a collection of your own animals. Is that yes. uh, accurate? Very accurate. Yeah. And, I had a and, pretty large <laughs> while there. And uh, it got to the point where within the last few years since I've been moving, I've been 
kind of downsizing more and more. So I've just kind of got my main projects I'm hoping to focus on now. But yeah. Great. So, so I eventually want to do an episode. I've done some on husbandry, but uh, I do want to do an episode, you know, on, on some of these people that literally keep thousands of animals. And I'm not saying that's you, but, but, um, but I, I am just so curious to hear some of that perspective. And I do know a few of those people, but um, so do you mind me asking about how many animals do you keep these days? About 20, not, not oh. much at all. Um, I pretty much have scaled down to just tree monitors and then my gargoyle geckos and then a couple animals I used to do educational shows with. So that's pretty much it. It's kind of bare bones at the moment just because of the traveling with the shows. And, you know, since we've just been so busy and focused on that, I had to remind myself I could always get back into it later. At the moment, I just want to keep the amount of animals that I can currently handle and give my full attention to. So it's just, it's very easy to get in over your head, especially as life gets busier. And um, I have been very lucky and very fortunate in being able to acquire a lot of really cool animals. And it's very easy for me to get them, but I wanna make sure that the ones that I do have in you know in my possession have got the, the best quality of care possible. So right mm -hmm. now, just a small collection. Yeah, that's great. Well, do you, uh, you know, so you obviously work kind of in, you know, husbandry, breeding circles, it sounds like. And then, uh, but at the same time, were you spending much time out in the wild, say there in Illinois or wherever you'd moved to, uh, you know, looking for animals in the wild? Do you, do you spend much time on that side of it or are you primarily focused on the husbandry? I would love to do more herping. I definitely have not been able to get out as much as I would like, but usually at least on every trip, I try to make my way out there. Um, wherever I'm traveling to, I try to network and chat with people that have gone herping in those areas or that are from those areas and, and try to get out if I can, because it's, it's just so much fun. It's seriously like one of my favorite things ever. Um, my goal at some point is to be able to use that opportunity of me going to shows to go herping where I can document it, take really good photographs of the animals, and then come back home to my studio and draw them and, you know, do time lapses and basically share the entire process. So hmm. that's what I'm kind of hoping for a little bit more next year. So I've, I've gotten some herping in here back in Illinois again, but not, not a whole lot like I'd like to. Mm-hmm. I've seen some of those, uh, you know, on your Instagram and we'll talk about that later. Some of those time lapse, but it's, you know, I love thinking about the process, um, of the creation of art because, you know, artists oftentimes all do it a little bit different. So, and that's where I want to go next. I want to, you know, I want to talk about the art itself and, and kind of the process, and then we'll kind of move into, you know, later on talking more about the business that, that you've created. And so, so starting with the process, uh, I, I guess let's start with the, like the inspiration. So I understand that the animals are the inspiration, but, but how do you, you know, find the inspiration for a given piece? Is it typically, you know, you have a moment where you see a particular species at a show or in a pet shop and you're like, oh my God, I look at that pose. I need to, I need to capture that. Or is it kind of more of like a calculated strategic thing, like you said, where you go and you photograph 30 animals and you know you want to, you know, have a, a piece for every monitor lizard that exists or, you know, basically kind of what's that inspiration? What's that first step for you? A little bit of all of the above, honestly. <laughs> There's uh, so many times mm -hmm. where, you know, I'm, again, very lucky to know a lot of breeders and people that work with really cool species. And so sometimes they'll, they'll post a photo and I'll go, Oh my God, that is perfect. You know, the lighting, the pose, the detail on the animal's face or the coloration, it can really be just about anything. It could be cool poses, colors, just, you know, settings. Um, and usually I'll, I'll reach out and go, Hey, you know, would, would you mind if I use this? And usually everybody's super nice and it's like, yeah, that'd be awesome. So there's, there's definitely that method, which, I think is probably the most common is me coming across a photo or going to a show and seeing a species that I think is just absolutely beautiful that I'd love to draw. 
So that's definitely happened as well. And then, like you said, photographing, um, you know, different animals out in the wild and going, okay, at some point, I really want to draw this guy. Um, so it's a little, little bit of everything. I kind of, uh, like go, what is it? Fly by the seat of my pants. <laughs> very, uh, very random the way I, I pick them. But I mean, it, I, I personally feel like there's something to appreciate in every single species, whether it's super bright or really attractive or not, you know, like the colors, yeah. colorful species. I mean, they, obviously they, they draw our eyes, they catch our attention. They're really bright, but I feel like there's definitely something to be said about the animals that camouflage themselves very well or are, you know, quote unquote, like drab colors. Because just the fact that they are able to adapt to look the way they do, you know, for their purpose of survival is just, it's fascinating to think about. So I try to think about that with every animal that I, I see is like, you know, what caused it to be like that. Wander North Georgia is a locally owned outdoor store in the heart of North Georgia. And as a family-run small business, conservation is one of the four values that guide and shape what we do around here. We are proud to support the work of Dr. Jenkins and his entire team at the Orient Society, who are doing the good work of protecting ecosystems and habitats for some of our favorite wildlife. To learn more about our small business and how we're able to support groups like the Orient Society, please visit wandernorthgeorgia.com slash 1%. Are there certain like species or say like groups of species that inspire you more? Like you mentioned, it sounds like your personal collection is maybe a little lizard heavy. Um, are, are there just certain groups that inspire you or are you just as inspired by a, a really cool turtle as you are, you know, a reticulated python? So, so. I started out mostly with snakes and then ended up going to lizards. Uh, a lot of my artwork, I noticed myself as very snake heavy and I would like to definitely branch out to more Shalonians, more amphibians as well. I just haven't kept a whole lot of them personally. And so I, I notice I don't draw them as much as I do with the snakes and the lizards, but it's, it's really tough to say because I, I mean, there, there definitely are groups that I'm attracted to, but there's also random individual species that I think are just so visually interesting I really want to draw them just because they, they caught my eye and they look really neat. So yeah. you know, I, I lean towards monitors, tree monitors, and you know, they're definitely my, one of my, some of my favorites, but um, there's just so much out there. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I mean, I think it says something to your, about your inspiration. It sounds like a lot of it comes from the animals that you see and, and based on what you do, a lot of the animals you see are in captivity or in shows and obviously a lot of reptile shows are kind of dominated by snakes and lizards. And so, yeah, that's, that's interesting, but I'll be, you know, I'll be watching, I'll be curious to see some of the, uh, you know, some of the amphibian and say turtle work uh, coming out. That's great. So, so continuing on with process. So you've, you get this inspiration to, to do a particular piece, whatever it might be. And then uh, what do you do? First of all, is there a place you do it? Do you have a very, defined like studio space at your house or is this something you could be down at the local coffee shop working on technically i can work from just about anywhere which i actually tested at one of the last shows uh when i drove to the daytona show and in between i started working on a piece digitally and i'm usually very particular about how i have everything set up before I start on a piece. And so it was something very different and um, just trying to get myself a little bit more adaptable, I guess, because we have our methods. I, I was very set on my methods when I had my studio in Indiana. And then after I moved, everything kind of got thrown up in the air. And I'll be honest, like I had a really hard time concentrating. I would kind of move from like workspace to workspace around the house and it just wasn't quite right. It wasn't what I wanted it to be. And <laughs> because we were traveling so much, I didn't really get to sit down and like stay at home for a week and, you know, make things my own because we were just always kind of on the move. So that's actually what I'm doing right now. So for the last week and a half, I have been working on painting my space, getting my shelving up, getting my, you know, my drafting table set up and everything where I need it to be so I can kind of sit and focus and get back in the zone. 
So something I'm currently working on now, trying to get myself a little bit more used to drawing in different places. But yeah, there's definitely like a little method. It's really weird. It's like a um, almost like a little ritual of like how I tend to set everything up. Mm. Um, and I want to get I want to hear that. But first, so before we leave kind of like the where you work question, I mean, do you do you think in general, the idea of having like a studio space, a familiar space is probably a good uh, recommendation to people who, who want to do art of any type? Um, I guess it probably depends on the people too. Maybe some people work better in a coffee shop, but I mean, I mean, is that something you generally would recommend uh, to people finding a dedicated space? I think it definitely would be good for everybody to see what helps them get into, you know, quote unquote, the zone, help to get focused or relaxed enough to be able to dedicate all their time and energy into something. So for me, I'm very easily distracted, like ridiculously easily <laughs> distracted. So usually I need everything to be fairly quiet. Um, I need, you know, a lot of elbow room so that way I could work on my pieces and not worry about bumping into stuff or like moving things around. I like everything kind of set up the way it is. And I know that's particular to me. You know, some people work better in different environments, but I think just having a good spot where you feel secure, you can focus, you can relax is, is definitely necessary. Hmm. So, and I'm this way too, this is the only reason I can say this to you is that um, you seem like, you know, you're not the artist that's working in a, a hurricane of chaos around you that you're maybe a little OCD about how you how you kind of set up your space and where you put this and where you put that. Um, so so tell me about that. You, you mentioned a drafting table. And so let's just say you have one of these tree monitors and you know you're going to do a piece um, you know from them. Uh, do you first of all you I'm assuming you have a photo you've mentioned that multiple times so you have a photo of the animal that you start from and then how do you you sit down at the drafting table and what are you laying out and how are you laying it out in front of you to to get into that perfectly organized uh, you know headspace to to do what you need to do so I've got everything set up now where I know where everything is Usually I want the table to be clear and just to have the paper in front of me. And then I select the colors of what I think I will be using. And I'll have a paper next to me to test the colors on as well. And depending on the photo, um, some photos I will just eyeball. Other photos I'll do a very light tracing of just the structure of whatever I'm drawing just to make sure I get the proportions correctly. Because you can eyeball it as much as you can, but our vision is just not the exact same as a photograph or a printer or anything like that. No matter how close you try to get it, sometimes it's a little bit off and it's hard to see. So I usually try to measure everything to make sure that it looks right. And uh, from there, I'll have my computer in sitting in front of me. I usually have an iPad near me and my phone. Uh, I used to have a camera set up over me to record all the time lapses. And then I switched to my phone when I moved. So I'm actually going to be getting the camera back up here again on a tripod that just sits directly over my desk and points down. So my next piece, that's probably how it's going to be set up. Uh, so I've got my markers next to me, computer in front, and then I just sit there and the markers get a little messy. But I'll just zoom in as close as I can usually and the area that I want to start. And then I'll just go from the lightest colors to darker. Do you, do you draw it first, say with like a pencil and then go to color or do you, cause you mentioned tracing potentially. Mm -hmm. I, I pretty much always do a very light pencil drawing and then I'll actually blot it with a um, rubber eraser to make it even lighter, especially when it comes to light yellows or really light colors. Whenever that goes over the pencil, it'll just make it really dark. So I try to go as lightly as I can. And then, you know, depending on where I'm starting from, go lighter and then build up layers from there. But yeah, I always, always sketch out with a pencil first. Gotcha. And so is there, you mentioned building up layers. Uh, so that's an interesting concept to me. So like, let, let's just say, 
you know, the piece you're working on, like you might do the entire, say, base of the animal in like a yellow. I'm just, uh, you know, hypothetical here. And, and then you go over that with other colors. You kind of like build up over time. Is that? Is that yeah, I'll, I'll grab the lightest colors that I have in that tone or in that shade of whatever color the animal is. And then mm -hmm. just go a little bit darker, a little bit darker. And then if the tone changes, then I'll add that marker as lightly as I can. And then go a little bit darker, especially for pattern and, you know, for different tones, for sh shading even. Um, sometimes I'll take like a very, very pale gray and go under each scale to try to give it a little bit of a, a 3D feel, feel to it. And uh, it's okay. a lot of layers. <laughs> <laughs> and so it sounds like you're using a lot of different things too. So you mentioned like material wise. So you, you, um, you mentioned a pencil to start and then you mentioned markers. Is everything typically done in markers or do you use other types of paints or is it, is it all typically pencils and, and markers? As of recently. So I got into the Copic markers last year. They're a lot of fun. They're fine art, alcohol based markers and have slowly started building up a collection of those. And so I really like them a lot because they blend super nicely and they almost have like, I'm not going to totally equate it to watercolors, but the way they react, the, the markers react to each other could just, it, it can be really smooth if you want it to. And you can actually use uh, like an alcohol blender as well on top of it to smooth it out even more. So it'll oh, be okay. like a, a very light gradient, basically. So I've had a lot of fun with those and then using micron pens on top of it. Usually I do 0 0.003 millimeter uh, pens. And then once I'm done doing the scale detail, I'll go over it with a white jelly roll pen on top to try to get the highlights of like the eye or some of the scales that are shinier. So that's typically the process that I, I do most of my pieces. And I have worked in acrylic and I have, I haven't worked in oil in years, but acrylics I've done a lot of work in. I just picked up gouache because I've never tried it and I've always wanted to. So that's something I'll be experimenting with here shortly. But yeah, a lot of it's marker work these days. So I want to hear what gouache is because I have no idea. But um, first, this jelly roll pen. So this is its essentially like a pen that gives like a gloss to it. Is that, would that be accurate? Yeah, kind of. The, it's very opaque. And so the ones mm -hmm. that I have, I mean, they come in like every color. And I know they used to be really popular in like the early 2000s where it's just basically a very thick, um, I mean, they've got glitter ones and stuff. People used to do a lot of penmanship with them. But the one I use is kind of an opaque white. So I'll put that on top of the marker art and it'll just show up as like a, a white mark or like a white highlight. Oh, okay. And, and so, uh, complete ignorance here. What is gouache? Did I even say that right? <laughs> it's a type of paint. I heard it's okay. similar to watercolor but more opaque i don't know i've honestly never tried it and i i've been terrible i haven't actually looked into like youtube videos about it or anything i've just seen mm -hmm. a bunch of artists that i follow say like oh this piece was done in gouache and i'm like oh that sounds pretty cool and so i i finally found some and just literally picked it up and i haven't played with it yet but i'm pretty excited too yeah Huh. And how, okay. So then you, you said that's one of the last, the, the opaque uh, finish that you're talking about, the jelly roll. And so let's say you do the, the jelly roll <laughs> marker. Is that, is that the final step or is that, um, do you have other things you do to kind of like finish or seal the entire thing? Or, or once you do that, the piece is done. Once it, yep. That's usually the most satisfying piece or satisfying part of the process for me is mm -hmm. having the image look flat and like sure it's shaded and it's got a lot of tone in there but once you add the jelly or once i add the jelly roll pen it just really makes it pop and that is yeah. like my favorite part of the whole thing so i actually experimented in different setting sprays and on paper it doesn't really work very well it just makes the paper look wet but on small canvases it works really well. And I 
I tried a bunch of different layers on them and it's it's pretty neat. I've got one piece, it almost looks like a tile because it's so shiny because I put so many layers of this gloss over it and it's it's held the color really well. Um, so unless usually unless I'm doing the little canvases, which isn't very often anymore, the jelly roll pen's the last part. So then, uh, you, so you have this finished piece of art and do you do every piece individually? I'm assuming you make prints out of a lot of these and what's the process there? I'm assuming it's, you send the piece off to somebody and they make a print or is that something you do somehow? So I'm very lucky. My boyfriend's a photographer. And so we'll basically get really good high detail photos of the artwork and he kind of specializes in color matching as well. And so he'll sit there with Adobe Lightroom and he'll have his computer on one spot and then the piece of artwork in front of him and he'll match it. So that way it's correct and true to the original artwork. And very painstakingly we'll cut out each piece. So he makes sure that I mean, he has to zoom in basically all the way and cut out every little bit of detail or every mark that I've made. So that way it goes on a pure white background. So when it gets printed, it doesn't have any texture on the white. Because it's the thing is that, you know, the paper does have texture. And on the white paper, when it, the page is white, you really notice it. When the artwork's on it, you can't really can't really tell. Yeah. So each piece has to get cut out. And it, that can take as long as the piece itself sometimes. Yeah. So did he, uh, we don't have to go too deep into his story, but did he, did you kind of bring him to the dark side of reptiles or has he always been into that? Um, you know, or is it just the photography for him that excites him? Um, he always appreciated them, but I definitely have facilitated him getting really into it. <laughs> um, so that mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> it was just kind of funny. So it, yeah, definitely, you know, he was always, always thought they were kind of neat and then has just gotten really, really into them in the last few years, but he's been always been doing photography as long as I've known him and really enjoyed doing reptile photography and had a lot of fun with that. And then pretty much by chance, I just started doing more artwork and he's like, oh, well, you know, we don't have to get it scanned or take it anywhere. We can just take photos ourselves. And so mm-hmm. that's kind of how that ended up starting. And then we do send it off. To, we, we send them off to get printed but he's the one that makes sure it's all ready to print and same thing with the stickers or anything else that we put stuff on. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's great. You get to get to work together on the business. So one thing I really, uh, you know, I've enjoyed looking at your art or well, really two things, but first of all, it's very realistic, you know, and, uh, and then, but one thing I've noticed is, is that, you know, a lot of, let's just say your typical like piece of rattlesnake art, whether that's a photograph or that is a drawing or what have you, you know, the snake is going to be like reared back, you know, rattling its tail, you know, shoot, maybe there's even a boot in the picture with a knife coming in for the snake or something. So, you know, which is, you know, that's how picture people picture rattlesnakes. But, you know, that's actually a behavior that a rattlesnake in the wild would display a very small percentage of the time. So so you get where I'm going is that they're very realistic and you're not to me, you're not like stylizing these animals to to like make them fantastic beyond what they are, meaning like that to make them like scary. Um, And I really like and appreciate that. And I'm just wondering if if there's any conscious thought has gone into that or, or how you ended up with that kind of realistic style representing reptiles doing what they normally do. That's kind of what I'm hoping for is just to show the the beauty of the animal as it is normally. So actually I almost kind of felt a bit of that with one of my recent pieces. I did a Cobra piece and I was looking at it. I was like, is that too much? You know, it's, I definitely have that moment when I'm looking at some pieces of like, you know, I want to make sure the animals as accurately represented as I can, and I want to keep it realistic. And so there's been a few times where like, man, like, I don't know, I don't know if this is quite how I really want it to be, but that's definitely a goal of mine is to try to capture the animal in, in just like an everyday moment, I suppose, where you can appreciate how it looks as well. And, um, 
I really enjoy, you know, just their natural behaviors. Usually just watching them do something when they don't know anybody's around or, you know, they don't know they're being watched, I think is really fun. I know a lot of people tend to like the big displays because that is, you know, what you think of. Um, but that's not what they're doing all day. Yeah. Again, yeah, those are very rare. And actually these days, you know, I, I spend a lot of time in the field in particular with rattlesnakes and um, in this part of the world, it's largely timber rattlesnakes. And, uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, the first thing they do is they, they want to grab them and handle them. And unless there's a reason to, I don't even bring a snake hook, you know, usually. And, and, uh, you know, oftentimes I'll bring binoculars and it's kind of, it's fun to just, you find rattlesnakes and you're watching from a distance with binoculars at, you know, what they're doing. And it's much more natural, you know, as opposed to, you know, really just having this thing display a behavior that, you know, might only happen, you know, just a small percentage of the time in the wild. So anyways, I, I do uh, appreciate that aspect of it. So, but playing devil's advocate, uh, given that this is now your uh, livelihood, you haven't ever considered like making some rattlesnake prints, you know, in the form maybe that I first described and traveling down to like a Sweetwater or one of these rattlesnake roundups. So, you know, point I'm getting at is, you know, there's a huge audience or a huge uh, group of consumers out there that, that like that. And, and I mean, has that ever crossed your mind? Like, Oh, my business could be more successful in business if I portrayed these animals unrealistically. I, feel like I try to find a way to walk a bit of both. So there was one diamondback piece that I did actually, you know, a couple of years ago now that was very highly detailed and I wanted to do something different for where I was going. It was my first show in Texas. And so I put a big old Texas flag behind it, but the snake itself isn't you're you don't see its whole body. You see its head and you see part of the body and then you see the tail, you know, rattling. Mm -hmm. So I thought it might be fun to kind of have a close-up of it where you see its features that are very notable, but it's not really in that, you know, stereotypical pose. I mean, I definitely have done pieces like that in the past, especially, you know, for different clients or for different reasons, um, just because they're very iconic. But for like the personal pieces that I sell myself or, you know, the personal artwork that I do, there isn't usually a whole lot of that. Yeah. Uh, I try to make it customized where, you know, regionally people might really enjoy it or, you know, different audiences can also enjoy it without it being over the top, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great. Well, last question kind of specifically about your art before we talk about the business and maybe talk a little bit about the role of art in, in conserving some of these animals. Um, but, you know, we, we've talked a little bit about kind of recommendations here or there, but, you know, what do you think the most important skills for a full-time artist, um, you know, to, to build their body of work, uh, to get their work noticed? What, what do you think are skills that people should be focusing on? You know, just kind of advice for people who, who you know, want to have that dream job that, that you've built for yourself? I almost feel like it's not not entirely art related, but you know, everybody's got their own style. Everybody's got their own goals artistically. But for me, one of the biggest things I think is really important that I feel like not a lot of artists always know how to do is being outgoing, friendly, networking, making new friends, making people feel, you know, welcome or excited about their art and willing to talk to them. And not just that, but marketing themselves. I know that is a lot of, is a really big struggle. You know, there's a lot of wonderful artists out there that aren't necessarily business, business people. And it can be kind of a high learning curve, but I feel like that is definitely what separates a lot of very successful people just in general, not, you know, specifically only art. It could be really just about anything. You could be really good at something, but if you don't know how to market yourself or present yourself to the public, it could be really hard for your work to get out there. And so to me, that's, that's just one of the biggest things is, you know, I have people ask me every so often like, Oh, Hey, you know, how can I get more traction? And 
you know, I, I just tell them, you know, post online, join different groups, join different conservation societies or local herpet, you know, herpetological societies and chat with people and see, you know, if you can work towards your goals in a social way, because that, that definitely helps. And, um, you know, posting semi-frequently if you can. I think there definitely is a little bit of a overload of that when it comes to artists. Like there's just way too much social media and <laughs> every platform wants you to post every single day. And I see a lot of artists get super burnt out because they're trying to push themselves to that point. So it's, it's good to post consistently, but not to the point where, you know, you're absolutely hating it because you're just posting too much. But it's, I, I think just really putting yourself out there and, being friendly to newcomers and, you know, we're all kind of in this together and a lot of us have the same goals and it doesn't hurt to help each other out. I've, I've met a few artists that weren't very friendly and, you know, as a consumer of art as well, I know that kind of was like, Oh, okay. Well, like they don't seem like they appreciate people wanting to buy their artwork or appreciate people enjoying their artwork. So it definitely was like a little bit weird. So I think that's just something that I think more people could be aware of. Hmm. So do you think the skills that, you know, that we're just talking about that, you know, are how much of that in your career do you think can be learned versus uh, innate? Meaning I have to assume that there are people out there, myself included, um, that like no matter how hard we worked at it, I could just never be and as great an artist as you, um, you know, and, and maybe the same on kind of that communications and marketing side for some people. Um, but I'm just curious how much of it being a great artist, I guess we'll focus on that side of it is, is really innate and, and just something you have a natural skill for versus how much do you learn? How much do you hone your craft? How much do you practice? It's a good part of that. It's a really good question. I, I mean, I've been drawing since I was little, but I felt like around high school is when I started to get what, you know, what I felt like was, was fairly good because of how much I was practicing. You know, I was taking art class. So I was in that every day. I was practicing every day and I was really studying and pushing myself. But then I stopped for many years and I never practiced and I never really worked on developing that further. And when I got back into it, I feel like I started back up at that high school level proficiency wise, but my eye for it changed a little bit. Um, where I think I was just coming back to it a little bit older, I was able to see some things that I couldn't, wouldn't have been able to before. I was able to notice details or notice, you know, the lighting or the shading or the shape of something that I otherwise wouldn't have understood. So I think it's, it's honestly a little bit of both. Um, I'm lucky to be very proficient in artwork where if I look at something, I could try to put it down and usually it looks fairly close. Um, but I know a lot of people that, you know, don't have that naturally that really bust their butt to try to focus on getting themselves those skills and they did it and it's amazing. So I think it's definitely a little bit of little bit of both. Um, I don't practice as often as I should, but pretty much with almost every piece or photo or other artists that I follow, I'm usually very much paying attention to different things that I would like to change or I would like to do. And with just about every piece, I usually try to challenge myself in one way or another with some with one of those steps that I want to work towards, I guess. So how, how many in say now that you're doing this full time, how many new pieces will you create in an average year? I mean, obviously I'm assuming you have pieces that you, you're selling prints from that you created years ago and, and you'll probably sell them indefinitely as long as there um, is a demand for them. But like what in an average year being full time, how many new pieces might you create? Honestly, I have no idea. Um, it's been a thousand very, or mm, I don't know about, no, I don't know about <laughs> a thousand, definitely more than 20 though. Um, this is all definitely still fairly new since it was 
pretty much the end of 2019 that I started drawing again. And then at the start of 2020 is when I went full time. And personally, I feel like I would have gotten a lot more work done, but I had to move at the end of 2020. And so that took up a huge chunk of time. And then trying to get settled at the new place kind of threw everything out of whack as well. So I feel like that there's been a lot of interruptions in, I guess, this process of trying to learn. I'm not, I'm honestly not too sure how many prints that I, that I've, or how many personal original pieces that I've done. I've done a lot of client work in between too. So that's the hard thing is trying to gauge. I'm going to have to go back and actually look. I feel like after this, I definitely want to take a peek and see how many pieces I've done time-wise. But yeah, I mean, there's yeah, long logo stuff in between there. So that makes it a little bit tough. Yeah. So along those lines, what if you take an individual piece, we kind of went through your process a little bit earlier. So you have the inspiration, you know what you want to do. You know, you're going to, you want this picture of this turtle. Like what, what's the uh, average or an approximate time from the minute you get everything organized and you sit down and then you're putting on that jelly roll marker. What's that, you know, what's that time window approximately? So far, most of them have been between five to seven-ish hours for an animal without a background. Um, mm -hmm. Usually more the focus is on the face and then there's some scalation of like the front half of the body or something in it. Usually between five to seven hours. If there's a background, they could bump it up to like eight or nine. Um, that's the average. There's a piece that I'm working on right now. I'm about 23 hours in and I'm like, not even close, not even close <laughs> to being done with it. Uh, but that's also my goal with that piece though, is to try to see absolutely how ridiculously detailed I can get. And I started it. It's, it's very much a background piece. It's like, if I have time, I'll sit down and mess with it a little bit, but you know, it's, it's not really a, on the forefront of something that I'm trying to get done right away. I'm just trying to see how ridiculous I can go with it. Um, another piece of mine was like about 16 hours, an alligator piece I did recently, I think was about like 23 or so. Yeah. But most of them are, are basically a full day, but we, is that how you typically work? You'll like sit down and be like, I'm creating this piece today and it's beginning to end, or is it something that kind of happens over weeks and you might have multiple going at once? Usually it's one by one and I try to get it done in one sitting. So I don't like to take breaks. And I notice sometimes if I'll start on a piece and I'll get fairly, you know, if, if I'll get like a third of the way through and then I'll go, Oh, I'll do it later. It, it takes a long time for later to come around. And so I try to sit down. Uh, I also have been recording on my phone too, and I have it on a time-lapse mode. So I can't pause it or anything really easily. So I'll just sit there for the entire duration and um, just try to try to hammer it out and get it done. Wow. That's intense. <laughs> it really can be. <laughs> my, my goal initially was to be able to get a, about a piece done a week, but just with how busy everything's been, it hasn't hasn't quite happened, but maybe at some point. Thank you for listening to Snake Talk. If you like what you've heard on this podcast, you can help us by subscribing and leaving us a five-star rating. Also, if you have any comments or suggestions, be sure to leave us a review. Well, let's talk about the business. So first of all, what what is the name of the business? And if people, I'm assuming you have a website, what's what's the web address so, so people could find it? It's AdelineRobinsonArt.com. And pretty much all of my socials the same way. If you look up Adeline Robinson Art on, uh, on Google, the, the website, the Facebook, and the Instagram should pop up. Great. And and um, and so it sounds like there's kind of two components to the business. There's, you know, you create, you know, I guess we'll call it personal art that, that, you know, inspiration that you derive in, in whatever way and you create the art and then you sell that, probably sell prints, maybe you sell originals. Um, and then 
you sell them in a variety of ways. Sounds like you travel to shows and problem. I'm assuming on your website, people could go there and buy those. But then you also have this like commission or contracted uh, type work where people might contact you to do a piece of their favorite pet boa constrictor or develop a logo for a company. Um, is that are those the two main components of the business? Yes. Yeah, I and, I guess most of the artwork I do is client work and then I'll try to sneak in my personal work in between then and that's, you know, what I do all the prints and stickers and shows with, but a lot of it is is client work. Mm -hmm. So it's primarily logos and, and banners for shows and then I'll get, you know, pet portraits as well. Okay. Excellent. And so that's the bulk of the the business, just the bulk of your time is doing the contract related work. Um, and then, I mean, is it there, it, it must be an interesting balance because it's really not, most of the work is not something you can hire somebody to do your art. You are going to, there's only you that can do this unique art and there's only so many hours that you have. So I'm assuming to maintain that personal creativity that you have to actually cap the amount of contract work has, I mean, and, and so what's kind of the demand there? I mean, are you, I mean, could you be working full time only on logos and banners and pictures of pets is, or is that something that, that, you know, today isn't, isn't, you know, is, isn't kind of overflowing your plate, I guess would be a good way to say it. I would love to be able to have more hours in the day. That's for sure. It's very difficult trying to <laughs> manage time between all of it. Um, I get, I mean, I'll be honest, I get overwhelmed very frequently because I, I, I feel like I need to just kind of set a stricter schedule for myself because I tend to um, work all hours all day, every day. <laughs> and usually when I get that burst of energy to work on stuff, I'll ride it out until, you know, I'm, I'm dead the next day. So I definitely, you know, I'd love to love to create a better schedule for myself, but yes, I mean, if, if I didn't want to do the shows, if I didn't want to travel and do all that, I could do client work exclusively. Um, but I really, I mean, the reason why I do artwork is because I enjoy drawing animals and I would like to be able to help them, you know, conservation wise and bring, really cool animals to you know maybe the the forefront of people's thoughts i'd love to be able to i guess create more awareness for species a lot of people aren't familiar with that is a huge goal of mine the client work is kind of i guess a, a side part in that but for the most part i just I'm here to dry animals. <laughs> so without, without that, you know, I, I don't know how long I would just be able to, to do client work. Cause it, you know, doing the, the personal work is kind of what, what keeps me going with it. And it keeps, it, it just keeps things fresh. It keeps me excited about continuing to do more artwork. I really enjoy doing people's designs. I have a lot of fun with that. Um, but I don't quite get to do the same level of detail or spend the same, amount of like, I guess, personal time and doing different twists with it as well, I guess, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. So on that client side, if, if somebody is listening to this and they are interested, they, they go check you out at Adeline Robinson art and they're interested in you potentially working with you on a logo or a banner or something like that. What's the best way for them to reach out to you on that client side? Is it through the website? Yeah, through the website or through social media. So on my website, I have a services section of fine art, and then I've got like a logo or graphic design section as well. So usually with any inquiry, I, I ask people to check that section out to see. Um, I've got different packages and different options and pricing and examples on there. Um, so I ask them to take a look at that and see if there's anything that they might want to go with or if they have any questions. And then Usually we end up chatting about it and I get, I do get really excited about client work because I get a lot of really cool ideas that people pitch to me of like, oh, hey, you know, I'm really into this and I'm into this. How can we combine them? And my brain just starts like totally going off. I'm like, oh man, you know, we can do all kinds of combos and, you know, do some really cool, 
you know, eye-catching and unique designs that you just aren't out there. So I get really excited about that. Um, and there's there's quite a few projects that I'm working on right now that I'm having a blast with. So yeah, usually I, I ask people to check out the website and then just let me know what they think and you know what what they might want to go with. And you know, I, I love helping people in general, and I have a blast with it. Good. How about the uh, how about the personal art side? You uh, you know, so you've mentioned shows a lot. Um, is that the best place for people to go and find some of your work at some of these larger reptile shows, or uh, could they also access some of that, say, through your website or social media or other places? I have a web store where I keep all my you know current inventory on there, and I usually try to keep it updated. I do bring, I sometimes will bring extra stuff to shows or I'll debut new prints. Like say I just worked on something right before a show, before I put it on the website, I'll bring it to the show first. So it's kind of like a, a special release. Um, but the shows seem to do really well. The The website gets some good traffic, but the, the shows are just a lot of fun because I love meeting people and chatting with people and networking. And so being able to not only meet, you know, clients that I've spoken to online, being able to meet them in person is always really fun. And then meeting some new folks is really cool too. So I, I, I personally enjoy the shows the most and the shows, I guess it kind of depends. Your question from earlier is, you know, what's the largest part of the business, the personal artwork or the client work. It's actually kind of seasonal now that I think about it. Cause I'll, you know, usually in the off season, I'll do mostly client work. And then when the shows are up, you know, I kind of slow down on that a little bit or let people know, Hey, I'm on the road. Cause it, you know, show se seasons on. So. Well, tell me about the future. Like, so where do you see yourself and your artwork and your business? Where, where What's the, the plan? What's, what's the future for all of this? Or is it just to continue drawing animals? <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, yes. Um, so we have a sprinter van that we've, I have been working on with converting it into like a camper slash show utility herbing vehicle. There's a lot more we want to do to it, but for now we've got a bed and we've got, you know, our basic necessities for being on the road on there. And my goal is to be able to travel to different shows all throughout the country, stop and go herping, take our time. Um, it's one of the wonderful things about working for ourselves is being able to do that, not having to run it by anybody and um, being able to, yeah, like I said, just stop at cold places, go herping, check out animals, check out zoos, different facilities, people that have different collections and meet and chat with them and take photographs of the animals. And then when I get back home, do art pieces. Cause I, every piece that I do for the most part has a story. A lot of the reference images that I work off of are animals from friends or breeders that I know, or, you know, photos that I've taken. It really depends. But, you know, I could tell you where the photo came from with every single piece. And I would love to be able to make kind of a whole story with some of my artwork in the future of, you know, yeah, we went to Arizona, you know, we were herping it this and this time and this place. And we were able to get some really cool photos of these guys and then I drew them. So that's kind of what I'm hoping to do in the future. Um, as far as anything else, I mean, that's really kind of the, the main goal is to see the country and cool animals and to draw them. Yeah. Well, that sounds like uh, an amazing life. So uh, last question, then we'll begin to wrap up here. But uh, so I mentioned it kind of in the intro and, and you touched on it a couple of times, but uh, you know, I think that, I think that there's a really important role for art and media uh, in the conservation of animals. And uh, I just wonder if you could just speak to that for a minute and, and, you know, do you put much thought into that, um, you know, as you're doing your work and, and how, how might you hope that, that some of the work you're doing, you know, influences these animals say in the wild? At the current moment, I, I would love to be able to do more. So I have donated artwork to different organizations and, you know, have helped with auctions and fundraisers to be able to raise money for, you know, different species research or land conservation. 
I'd love to be able to get to a point where a percentage of the proceeds that I get through prints and stickers and whatnot could go directly to that. So I'm definitely, I'm always thinking about it. I'm still very small and still growing. And so I'm hoping that in the future, that could be a large portion of what I do because it's, you know, without these animals and without them existing and being in their homes, you know, there's almost kind of, I'm not going to say no point of doing what I do, but the whole reason I am a reptile artist is because of them. And I want to be able to conserve, help conserve their space or their species as much as possible. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it definitely fundraisers, you know, shirts, stickers, artwork, getting donated to auctions. There's, there's a lot that can be done and that I hope to do in the future more too. Well, imagine, imagine that, you know, a bunch of us are sitting outside that van, maybe in a desert in Arizona around a campfire. And, you know, we're, we're, you know, just kind of enjoying the evening and talking about the day and, uh, and you are gonna take center stage and tell us your best snake story. I don't know if I have anything super exciting, to be honest. Um, because I haven't spent much time out in the field, I would say like for my in the field. It doesn't have to be in the field. It could be about a picture of a snake. It doesn't even have to be. It's just, just your best snake story. But I, I would say for me, the most exciting moment was I was able to help medicate a very large male King Cobra um, at one of the facilities that I worked at. He had gotten some gunk in his mouth and was being treated just he had like a small infection and so we had to tube him and uh give him injections and antibiotics and so i was able to help with that which was super exciting for me because i'd never done anything like that before so that definitely got my heart racing um so i'd say that's like for me personally one of the most exciting <laughs> moments that i've had with snakes but i can't think of anything outside of that that's been like a really cool story <laughs> well that um that sounds pretty exciting to me and that sounds like a great story and i'm sure you will um be traveling all around uh in that van uh finding and, and writing a whole whole series of news stories so um yeah i just wanted to i wanted to thank you for uh coming on today it's been a, a pleasure talking with you thank you likewise and i just want to thank the audience and tell everybody to remember Snakes are animals too, and it's a privilege to see one in the wild.